I'd like to welcome to the show writer and director of the film Funny Face, Tim Sutton. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about the film today. But before we dive into the film, Tom, what was your first job in the movie industry? I was a production assistant. Yeah. I was a production assistant in, in commercials. I, had a, I moved to New York and I had one friend of a, a family friend who was a production coordinator or production manager in commercials and he hired me and I worked there on like bad commercials like Vagistat commercials and, and, and stuff like that and then got a job at R. Greenberg Associates which did the titles for Superman and was more of like an effects house. Funny Face is about the destruction of his grandparents' home, leads a young man to revenge under a mass persona. Where did the concept and the idea behind the film come from? Um, well, I've lived in New York for a long time and had never made a, uh, a movie here for, for various reasons, you know, logistic, financial, but also creative. Uh, I figured uh, if I was going to make a, a movie in New York, it had to be a quote unquote New York movie. Like it had to really kind of stand up in its own way to, to the New York genre. And I consider, you know, movies like Taxi Driver and Bad Lieutenant and Requiem for a Dream and Stranger in Paradise. But even, even movies like Manhattan or, or When Harry Met Sally, I really wanted to make a movie that, you know, wasn't at the level of those movies, but certainly, uh, Took, a, took an angle on New York and made it its own. Um, and at the same time, you know, gentrification is, is a, a major issue, not just in New York, but lots of other cities um, where money is kind of taking over and, and money is the new culture. And I wanted to tell a story about that, but I didn't want it to be a, a straightforward social issue movie. Um, so I kind of found the, the vehicle at, for for the, uh, the, the Coney Island mask, the mask that represents Coney Island and kind of represents an old New York, an old school New York, and, and kind of decided to weave a, a, a DIY kind of punk rock superhero origin story out of that. Yeah, and to kind of follow that for me, technically speaking, and I'll dive into that portion first, but the film is, is just gorgeous, from the cinematography to the fantastic score to the Thank locations. Um, take us behind the idea of utilizing that entire city to your advantage, but also kind of sprinkling in this score, because there's a lot of um, little moments in the film, not a lot of dialogue, but you let the cinematography, you let the score kind of do the talking in between there. Mm -hmm. So take us kind of behind the idea of that. Sure. Well, I mean, I want to credit both the cinematographer, Lucas Gaff, and the composer, Phil Mossman, uh, with, with their, you know, really vibrant and, and also original work. Um, I, you know, first of all, movies are moving images. It, to me, silent movies are, are, can be more powerful than, than, than dialogue-based movies. Uh, I think you learn a lot from what people say, but I think you learn even more from, from where people are and how they interact with their environment and what their environment looks like. Um, people in a landscape, that's, that's the movie. Uh, when, when, when Cosmo and uh, 
and Della are sitting on a bench, you know, having a snack. It's, it's about what the light looks like, what the, what, and also like what the soft sounds of, of the music sound like, not, not as much what they're saying. Um, so Lucas and I went at it with the idea of like, how can you make one image totally gritty and then the next image next to it totally sublime and totally beautiful and have that all match? Because that's what Brooklyn really is. And that's, that's kind of what the story is, is it's this juxtaposing of Saul on the cracked sidewalks um, and, and the dilapidated buildings with uh, Johnny Lee Miller's developer character who, who's being chauffeured around always, almost always behind glass, um, looking out at the city from, from a perch. So it was about creating a, 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 a cinematic language that was both high and low, but that worked together. Um, you know, when we're out in the street at night, it's it's a lot of neon lights from the from the bodegas or from the street lights that we're using, and 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 Lucas did a really good job. He he comes from documentary originally, so so he did a, a really good job with less. Phil, this is this is the second time I worked with Phil. He also did my score with Donnie Brook, and the most important thing for me with with Phil was that it should sound like a, a daydream of Coney Island. You know, it should have a little bit of some kind of distant mystic Ferris wheel in the background, you know what I mean? And, and I also didn't want to recognize the instruments. So I didn't want to know that this was a snare drum and I didn't want to know that this was a, a trombone. I wanted it to feel otherworldly. I wanted it to feel unrecognizable. And at the same time, just like Lucas, it had to be extreme. It had to be both kind of frightening and filled with rage, but it also had to be soft and kind of a, a, a sad lullaby at the same time. So, so going from the extremes, both, both sound and picture, you know, sublime and gritty, sad and, 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 and angry all, all at once. And they, they did fantastic work, both of them. Yeah, I even put in my review, I said this, the score reminds you of like a rock concert, right? And, and several times you kind of drop the beat and it kind of leaves you in awe and it kind of puts together exactly the pieces that you just mentioned. Um, for me, the writing um, really stands out, um, especially when you're talking about um, Cosmo Jarvis's Saul. Um, a lot of the times when we're trying to identify or connect to a character, and it's, it's this good bad guy type of scenario. But I think the one difference with Saul that you wrote, yes, he was a loner. Yes, he was awkward and not so personable and doesn't even really not, you know, he doesn't know how to do the little things of life, like drive and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't put him exactly in the villainous category because his motives are pure, yet he kind of goes about them uncharacteristically. Mm -hmm. That your kind of idea of writing the character yeah, I mean, the, the, the most important thing and what we both agreed on right away is that, you know, Brooklyn is filled with hipsters and we didn't want Saul to be a hipster. Like we didn't want him to be cool. We wanted him to be kind of a loser who, who didn't know how to, the world is, is kind of leaving him behind. New York feels like it's leaving him behind a little bit. So we wanted to have this person who, had a soul, had a had a huge soul, but but like didn't didn't know how to figure out 
how to stop bad things from happening. And so that's what happens is like, he's a really good guy who doesn't know how he I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. It's like, he's a really good guy who, who, who can't get anywhere and that's frustrating. And so what he does with that frustration, it becomes dangerous. And I think that's, that happens to a lot of people. And, and I wouldn't say he fulfills that danger because what he's really looking for through his anger, through his frustration, through his isolation is not revenge. He's looking for someone to love and someone to take care of and someone to love him and take care of him. And I think that's more important than, than the revenge story. But, but Cosmo, Cosmo is the type of actor who I really believe he can do anything. His preparation, his talent is, is just incredible. We wanted to create someone who felt real and also kind of like, you know, kind of like a, 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 almost a, a caricature of, of what a Brooklyn, kind of Brooklyn punk is. He's kind of, I, I, I think of him as one of the Ramones who never made it. You know what I mean? He's just kind of like, he's got a thick accent. He feels like he's kind of timeless. Is he from the 50s? Is he from the 70s? Is he from the 90s? And, and you know, he's, he's a lovable guy who just doesn't know what to do with all his anger. For me, you kind of answered some of the question about Cosmo is fantastic. I think that he took the words that you put on paper and then the direction that you kind of gave him and kind of ran with it. For sure. Um, in that process of figuring out who your Saul was going to be, what met, what stood out the most about Cosmo? I mean, again, like Cosmo, I met I met some uh, more recognizable actors. Even though I think Cosmo is going to be a very recognizable actor, depending I on the parts. Hundred percent. Um, I met I met with some guys, and they played it more kind of like tongue in cheek, or made it, played it more cool. And Cosmo's first intuition was that he's not cool that he's a struggling, isolated, you know, loser to, to you know, and, and that was important. Um, Cosmo's ability then, you know, surpassed my expectations because he's, you know, he's in, you, from one end, he's kind of a mystery. From one angle, he's kind of unattractive and abrasive. And from another angle, he looks like Marlon Brando. You know, I mean, he, he, he and he's he's handsome and, and incredible looking. So he has this kind of strange, amorphous kind of chameleon-like uh, form that that when he plopped down in Coney Island and he and he you know never broke character, was always uh, had the accent, was always Saul, was never Cosmo, and and he he kind of blended right into this 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 Coney Island world not this Brooklyn world that you walk in walk down the street to, you know today but this unique world that that he he created as much as I did you know the, this character is both completely real and completely um, magical at the same time the film starts you think it's gonna go one way and then we meet Emma and who's played by Della Meskinier. Is that how you say Meskinier. it? Meskinier. Meskinier. Mm -hmm. And she's remarkable. And I feel mm -hmm. like when she enters the screen, we go from this, what we kind of expect to be this kind of crazy story into, and what I say is one of the best love stories told on the big screen in a long time. 
Mm. Was it always meant to be that way? Yeah, it's a love story through and through. I mean, my New York movie was always going to try and be, you know, have the, have the vibe of a, a gritty and sublime taxi driver, but it was always going to be a love story. Um, and, and I think that's the, that's what I think some people are, are, are not necessarily picking up on because yes, it's set up as a bit of an origin story. Yes. It's set up as a bit of a revenge story, but that's not necessarily how life goes. And so, you know, you might want revenge and you might, try and get revenge but at the same time you're kind of hungry and you like this girl and so why not go have lunch together and get to know each other and I think that's what the beauty of of the story is 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 Zama's ability not to judge Saul but to be his partner and and to to be she's filled with rage and she's filled with confusion just as much as he is they 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 show it in different ways they personify it in different ways, but they're partners. They see eye to eye from the minute they meet, they are partners. And it's, it truly is love at first sight. It's not a typical love story, but it, what great love story is typical, you know? Exactly. And I think it's the little moments in the film that really stand out to me of uh, the power of their relationship. When you're outside of the bar that one night where he just is beating the beating the, just beating that guy almost to death. If she's mm -hmm. not standing there, he probably beats her to death, right? Mm -hmm. And it's those little moments where uh, even in the car, he gets frustrated about the Knicks, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and his battle with the Knicks and the Nets. And to me, how they're intertwined and their chemistry, what was it about Della that kind of brought her to the forefront to be opposite of Cosmo? Well, I mean, it, it, it definitely took work. I mean, first of all, Cosmo is not the easiest actor to work with. He tests you as, you know, he tested me, he tested the cinematographer, he tested the producers, he tested Della. And Della was relatively inexperienced by design. We really wanted to, to have someone who had never, you know, a real discovery. Um, we auditioned, uh, I would say, 50 to 60 people. And, and she just kind of blew us away. She knew what she was doing. Um, at the same time, she had this kind of, she had both a sense of wisdom, but also a sense of uh, kind of vulnerability and, and, and a bit of innocence that made sense for Zama. Zama is, what was important was that it's not Saul's story with Zama as a sidekick, which I think some people are, 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 are latching onto just because Zama plays it very differently. Zama is a very different character. And, and of course, we needed someone who was going to make the role personal. Saul's role, you know, Cosmos, it's not personal. It's a total, you know, character dive. Whereas Zama, it was important because as a white, you know, as a white male writer and director, it was important if I was going to, you know, have this character, this Muslim woman character, she had to own it and she had to bring herself to it. And she had to tell me what, what Zama would do in these, in these places. And she really did that. And, and, you know, frankly, their chemistry took a little while to, to, to get going because, because they were both, you know, figuring it out. Um, but I, I do feel like by the time, you know, they end together by that parking lot scene at the end, they, they, you know, they're, they, they can't live without each other. I mean, of course they're together. And I think that's a real testament to, to, to Della's perseverance and her ability to to kind of work work her way through the through the movie with Saul with Cosmo's help, but also 
in opposition to, to, to Cosmo, like really pushing for her own place in the movie at the same time. Yeah, before I let you go, I want to talk about that ending. And I don't want, I won't dive into it too much, but uh, spoiler wise, just for the people that when they listen to this, but mm-hmm. for me, that final sequence, when he's sitting, <laughs> he's sitting in that parking lot, in my head, I was like, all right, Tim, what are you doing to me here? Like, because you see him by himself, right? And, and you don't see him inside the parent's house, right? right? Whenever she goes back home and you kind of feel like th- there might've been a finally like a mutual separation, even though you knew me as watching it knew that these guys were basically, these two were basically inseparable. That ending, that, that's, was that the original ending from, the, from Go? Mm-hmm. It was. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's I, I again and Tim, I, I just want to really thank you for your time today in, in discussing the film. It, it's something different and unique and a breath of fresh air. And I genuinely mean like it's one of the best love stories that you're right. You find love in the most unique places and and you could have gone 75 different ways with the character of Saul and his destruction of him. But instead, you highlight what it's like to meet one person and how that can change your life. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's like. I think there's a darkness to this movie, but but in so many ways, I mean, I, I think it ends with with the great hope that that all it takes is, you know, all it takes is one person to 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 show you that that life goes on. You know what I mean? That that you can live, that you can exist. And, and in this story, it's it's absolutely about two people being there for each other, even at the end when it's you know, not a, it's, it's not explicit as much as it is implicit. Um, they're, to, they're together and that's what matters.